Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Coming up on Squats and Margaritas. The Marie Kondo Japanese tidying book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, had been a bestseller the year or two before. One day, kind of the thought popped into my head that you know, I've been doing for my mind what Marie Kondo advises you to do for your garage or under your bed or your kid's playroom or your attic, which is really just taking an inventory and asking what is going on inside here, you know, that in her parlance brings me joy, or as I say, what annoys the ever-loving crap out of me and getting rid of it. I had been doing that with all of this stuff that I had placed an outsized value on when I was climbing that corporate ladder. So I thought, oh, and a funny title for that would be The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck. Hey, senorita, really nice to meet ya. Have some tequila and stay. First of all, squats and margaritas is like the best name for a podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I was always calculating calories and macros. And when I just calmed the F down, I found my physical ideal. Am I addicted to moderate drinking? You're very subtly admitting powerlessness and unmanageability and I'm proud of you that's beautiful did you struggle with actual eating disorders anorexia and bulimia um, wow thank you for saying for me, that Katie Craig, nothing screws up a kid more than having a parent on top of that kid all the time Kenya Moore before I take a shower I would always step on scale and I saw my daughter starting to do that like she doesn't know how to even read the numbers but yeah. she saw me doing it actress Melissa Joan Hart I remember the first time I was told I could be a movie star if I was lost right. 10 pounds when I weighed 103. Pinky Cole, were you high when you came up with the name? I was very high. (laughs) This is Squats and Margaritas. This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's New York Times bestselling author, Sarah Knight. She is the author of, I guess this would be a good time to tell you to maybe listen to this episode on AirPods or when your kids aren't in the car. Sarah is the author of the No Fucks Given Guide, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, Grow the Fuck Up, Calm the Fuck Down, Get Your Shit Together. You know you have one of them. You know you've seen him at the airport. She's a legend. She's also the host of the No Fucks Given podcast. When you think of getting your shit together, you think of your closet, your pantry, your home. But what about our minds? Sarah talks about mental decluttering, how to say no and not feel sorry about it, which I am definitely here for because I still have a problem with it at 42. Please do me a favor and hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode. And please, please take two seconds to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Here is my episode with Sarah Knight. We are the same. We're both anxious. We loathe inefficiency. We struggled with anorexia and bulimia in our teens. We're both Sagittarians. It's hard for us to not be in constant pursuit of the next thing. However, I am not a New York Times bestselling author yet. So why don't we start there with what separates us? Um, Let's go back to the time you were at a publishing house in New York City. Talk about how you were feeling at that time and what you decided to do. So I moved to New York in the year 2000 and I had a couple of uh, 
short run jobs at a bookstore, a literary agency. And then I landed at Scribner Books, which is part of Simon & Schuster as an editorial assistant. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is my career. This is what I want to do. I'm going to rise my way up through the, you know, every rung of the ladder. I'm going to become a publisher and have my own imprint and I'm going to die behind this desk. And I spent 15 years clawing my way, um, pursuing, you know, promotions faster than other people would and working later than other people would. And sometime in the middle of all that, I started having panic attacks. I started having a lot of symptoms that I now know were anxiety and encroaching depression. Uh, but at the time, I just sort of attributed to burnout. And this is my lot in life. I'm a type A, you know, overachieving, people pleasing, ambitious monster. Um, and so I guess this is just what happens to people like me, and there's nothing I can do about it. And at a certain point, in about 2014, I just said, I can't do this anymore. I can't wake up every day and feel like this. What is going on? And I took a real inventory of my my life, my career, my marriage, my home, where I was living. And it all boiled down to the job. I loved being an editor. I loved collaborating with writers. I really get a thrill out of discovering new voices and bringing them to market and, and sharing them with people. But I wasn't cut out to work in a corporate environment. And even though publishing is, quote unquote, a creative field, it is full of all of the same, um, you know, diplomacy, um, labyrinths and, you know, people who are sort of your superior and, and managing people. I'm not actually very good at managing people. I think I'm an excellent mentor and not the greatest manager, partly because I lack patience for inefficiency, um, you know, and other things that you mentioned already. So there was this point where I said, I'm desperate. I got to get out. And it looks like the solution is I have to leave this job. And how am I going to do that? Because it's been my identity for the last decade and a half. And the answer was, you know, a lot of red wine, a lot of tears, uh, a lot of planning, a full year of planning, which I detail in my second book, Get Your Shit Together, um, you know, and, and working my way both financially, logistically, and then also psychologically into a place where I was ready to walk in to my boss's office and say, I quit and I'm going to go work for myself. I'm going to be a freelancer. What got you to that point? Like, so you're going every day. My job sucks. I hate my job. But like, do you remember the point where you're like, I'm done, I'm out? It was desperation. I just got to this point where I was like, yeah. I can't keep going like this. And like I said, I sort of took an inventory. You know, what is it? Is it living in New York? Is it working at this job as opposed to, you know, maybe getting a different job within publishing? You know, and I, I thought it all through and I realized, no, it was going to be any job where I was part of a cog in the corporate grind. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, my husband and I uh, lost a, a friend. Um, it was my, my college roommate's best friend. And we had just spent a week with him and my roommate in Mexico for her bachelorette party. And he was just this amazing guy, multi-talented, had his hand in all kind of different pies, business, creative, um, extreme skier, you know, just full of life. And he had some kind of undiagnosed heart ailments and he passed away putting on his shoes one morning, you know, in his thirties. Um, and that really shook us. And in the same moment where I was thinking that I was going to leave my job, which is really centered in New York City, if you if you want to work in publishing at a high level in the United States, now there's a lot of people that have been able to work from home since the pandemic, but really New York City is where it's uh, centrally located. And I thought, well, if I'm not tied to New York anymore, 
And my husband and I had long talked about maybe moving to the Caribbean, retiring to a tropical place. And we thought, why wait another 30 years? You know, like if we can, if, if we can successfully financially disentangle ourselves from a particular location, in this case, New York, um, why not go do something that we know we want to do while we can still appreciate it, you know, because our, our friend John didn't know that he wasn't going to have another 30 or 40 or 50 years. So not only in the summer of 2015, after a year of planning, did I quit my job at Simon & Schuster, I also sold my apartment in Brooklyn and we moved to the Dominican Republic, which is where I am speaking to you from right now. My goodness. And to have a, a partner that's like, yeah, I'm in, I'm on board. Not like, what the hell are you talking about? We can't move to a tropical <laughs> island. He was like, yeah, I'm down because that yep. was the plan. So why assume that you have another 30 years to make the decision? Like do it now. It's so inspiring. So the first time you wrote was writing your first book, The Life-Changing yeah. Magic of Not Giving a Fuck. So I intended to go freelance as an editor. And part of that year of planning was I had set up some clients and I had let certain literary agents know, you know, I'm going to be leaving this job and opening up my shingle for private editing work. And so I was doing that for a couple of months in the summer of 2015. And then I just had the idea, you know, the Marie Kondo Japanese tidying book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up had been a bestseller the year or two before. I had read it. Um, I actually got a copy and I was going to send it to my mom because she really needs it. But then I thought that was kind of passive aggressive. So instead, I just tell this story all the time, which is equally passive aggressive. Um, but I read it myself and I enjoyed it. And I just one day, kind of this thought popped into my head that, you know, I've been doing for my, for my mind what Marie Kondo advises you to do for your garage or under your bed or your kid's playroom or your attic, um, which is really just taking an inventory and asking what is going on inside here that, you know, that in her parlance brings me joy, or as I say, what annoys the ever loving crap out of me and getting rid of it, you know, discarding, um, big old spring cleaning. And I had been doing that with all of this stuff that I had placed, um, an outsized value on when I was climbing that corporate ladder, you know, that did not have value to me anymore. So I thought, Oh, and a funny title for that would be the life changing magic of not giving a fuck. It's and so, so <laughs> yeah, a parody book was born yes. uh, and it was, you know, I, I, I definitely had, you know, a leg up in the sense that I knew literary agents, you know, from my 15 years in publishing. Um, I had a friend who was an agent who said, I'll, I'll rep anything you write. And I said, I don't think you're going to want to rep this because she's very serious <laughs> and very classy. And uh, I said, I had this idea and she said, write me a proposal. I'm like, okay. Wow. So I just sort of wrote a proposal and I gave it to her and she was like, I'm going to sell the, you know what, out of this. And she did. Um, and as everybody around town, like the different editors that she submitted it to were reading it. And I was having these phone calls with my former peers, you know, who now wanted to publish this book. It became clear that everybody thought this is an actual self-help book. Like, yes, it's a parody. And you, you know, you've done a great job kind of creating a parody of the tone and the and the content of the Marie Kondo book, but it is its own thing. And you know, do you feel like you can be a guru? And I was like, I mean, I can say all of the things that I say in the book. And if people choose to listen, that's, you know, then I guess yes. I'm a guru. So it just started like that. And we were, you know, trying to sell our apartment and I was writing this book and my cat was dying and we were planning <laughs> on moving in January and the book was due in October. And it was just like crazy. 
you say it's like advice for people that don't want to be told what to do. The people that wouldn't look at a self-help book, you would get their attention. Like if it's too highbrow self-help, like it just, it, I'm not into it, but you used humor and humor gets attention. Humor matters. And you can still deliver the self-help. Um, my first book, I talked a lot about my eating disorder recovery and how I came through it. I definitely dealt with imposter syndrome because the eating disorder community came for me and was like, who is this woman? Like she has no uh, business talking about recovery when she's not a professional. And I wondered, did you ever struggle with uh, imposter syndrome where you're like, why would anybody listen to me about like, do I, you don't have letters next to your name or how did you kind of get through? I'm going to put out this quote unquote self-help book, but you're not like, you're not a guru. You're not a therapist. You're just a, a woman that wrote a book. Did you deal with that? So in so many ways, I, I dealt with that now, just literally on the page um, of all of my books, there is at some point mid book, I say, yes, not a doctor, not a trained therapist, you know, don't have don't have a leg to stand on in the medical community. So please don't come for me. <laughs> um, this is just <laughs> anecdotally what has worked for me in my life and might work for you, especially if you are like me. Yeah. Um, and perhaps a person who never thought that they would need a self-help book or would want to read a self-help book or would enjoy a self-help book. Um, I actually was at a wedding, a family wedding a year ago, and it was like one person at the table knew me, you know, I'm a daughter-in-law kind of once removed. So I didn't know a lot of people there. And they said, Oh, this is Sarah Knight. She writes these self-help books. And, and the person looked at me and said, Oh, what, what qualifies you for that? And I said, nothing. I said, you're looking at it. <laughs> Very popular for no apparent reason, but I am deeply unqualified, except for the fact that like, I've always just been, you know, blunt and opinionated, yeah. secure person who's secure in a lot of um, opinions and maybe life choices that are, you know, unpopular or irregular, uh, you know, the woman of a certain age who doesn't have any children on purpose, which is one thing that is mystifying to a lot of people out there. Um, I have very strong boundaries. I'm not afraid to use them, that kind of thing. So I think that, you know, the answer to what qualifies me is just that if people can recognize themselves and, yes. and feel like there's somebody out there who's giving voice to things they've already been thinking, things they've sort of wanted to do and saying, here's permission to go ahead and do it because I did and it didn't, nothing blew up, nothing exploded. My life only got better for it. Yeah. But I definitely do struggle with that imposter syndrome when it comes to just, for example, um, my book, uh, Calm the Fuck Down is about dealing with anxiety and I deal with anxiety, but it's Damn. also about solving problems. And it's about, you know, handling small, uh, lowercase a anxiety, not just, mm -hmm. you know, clinical diagnosed anxiety. And it was so successful that um, my publishers wanted me to do an accompanying journal, which is basically distilling all of the sort of exercises and the, you know, the, the finest points of the book into a journal form. And we wanted to call it, I forget whatever the subtitle we wanted to call it, but it was something about, you know, taming anxiety. And the buyer at a major bookseller, I won't name names, but there's only so many of them. The buyer at a major bookseller said, no, I won't stock it if you say that because she doesn't have the credentials to write about Whoa. anxiety. So instead, we had to say something like how to stop worrying and start something instead of saying like how to tame your anxiety, 
because this you're not a doctor single person who probably isn't even in that job anymore right said i will not you know if you if you go with this subtitle i will not buy any copies of a journal associated with a massive best-selling book yes right but if you do change it to my idea of what is allowed to run on the cover of a book based on her lack of credentials then i will take you know many thousands of copies and it was like okay well i guess we're going to Take the many thousands of copies. I'm not not going to be precious about this, but it's Mm. it is instances like that much more so than with an individual reader. Like I haven't had, I guess what the the analogy for you would be like the self help community. Like they haven't really come for me, but I also am not sure they're reading my stuff. Like I think my stuff is geared more toward people who don't consider themselves. Yes, um, and they see themselves in you, and you're not make you're not putting it off as anything other than this is just what helped me. I'm sharing this and I know it could help you. It You connect and that's who I want to take advice from. And that's kind of how I saw it too. I was like, I was bulimic for 10 years. Here's how I stopped doing it. Here's how I live now. I'm not an expert, but I always picture myself, like I never went to therapy. And I pictured when I was in the height of it, maybe like 23, 24, going into a therapist's office. It's a man. And he's like, tell me about your disordered eating and your body image. And you're like, you don't get it. But like, if someone is struggling and it's so shameful, so they probably haven't told anyone and they read my story and I can tell them how I got out of it. Like that's a book I would have read and not Mm -hmm. some clinical book about a woman telling you how to deal with it, who never went through it herself. So it does give you credibility. Your story gives you credibility. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that, you know, I, I try to, I just try to make it really clear that, you know, taking my advice, like you're sort of taking it at your own with a grain of salt at your own peril, you know, and it might work and it might not, but I don't want to like make anybody's life worse by telling them how to deal with their anxiety in a particular way or how to get motivated to do something or how to leave, you know, their career behind the in a ball of flame and move to a tropical island. Fine, Sarah. Um, You're saying we should to... all quit our jobs and move to a tropical <laughs> island. That's what I'm going to do tomorrow. That's what you said. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and I do personally for my own issues with uh, mental illness, with panic disorder and anxiety and depression and also eating disorders in my past, like have found it really helpful to talk to people who are going through it. You know, yes. I'm not necessarily going to be looking for advice from, I, I have a therapist um, and I'm doing some interesting things with her, but they're not, things that got me to where I am, you know, yes. that was through talking with friends and being part of other people's, uh, you know, experiences and taking lessons from them and, and just kind of figuring it out on my own. The reader trusts you and you feel seen when you read a story, like somebody that's just sharing what they've been through that helps them. To me, like the title of your book, like I'm buying that book. Somebody mm-hmm. that's like, this has helped me. It's kind of like why I wrote my first one. I want to use the rest of the time to just share some nuggets that I've gotten from you. Just going through a few of your concepts. So your first book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Now back to squats and margaritas. Not giving a fuck means you don't care about something. So why are you giving your fucks to it? Sounds very simple. First, tell us what fucks are. <laughs> okay. So I, I consider your fuck bucks to be your time, energy, and money. Yes. And deciding how you want to spend or save them is making a fuck budget. And you have to make your fuck budget and you have to stick to it. And if anybody would like a 12-minute distillation of this idea, they can watch my TEDx talk. The life-changing magic of not giving a fuck. You know, basically, you're just like, you know how much money you have in the bank or in your 
wallet at any given time and how much you, you can spend or not spend on something you want. So you need to treat your time and energy the same way and understand that you know time is not a renewable resource. You are running out of it as we speak. I am sorry to be the one to inform you of this. Yes. Um, you know, And energy is renewable, but only if you give yourself a chance to. Like You're no good to anybody if you're just completely exhausted, wrung out. Um, you're doing too much all day, every day. Yes. You're going to end up in a, in a burnout situation and you're not going to be able to enjoy the things that you really want to be doing and the people you really want to be doing them with. Not giving a fuck means releasing yourself from the shame, anxiety, fear, and guilt associated with saying no. All women, well, I feel like I'm kind of, I'm 42 and I'm just coming into like saying no and not feeling guilt. You talk about like, if you're giving somebody proper uh, notice that you won't be at something, there's nothing to feel guilt or feel sorry about. Women don't look at it that way. I think that, you know, the the difference, and I'm, I'm sure that there are men that go through this as well, but primarily women have been uh, socialized from a very yes. young age to serve, to please, to smooth things over, to make sure that everybody's feeling okay, that nobody's upset. Um, and men are socialized to win, you know, to succeed and and to win. And there isn't a secondary thing where they have to worry about other people's feelings while they're doing that. And so I yep. do think it takes a long time as a woman to come out of that and be like, why am I doing it this way? This is not good for me. And sometimes that happens, you know, in your career, you get overwhelmed. Sometimes you've got a family to take care of. Sometimes aging parents. Sometimes your friend group is, um, you know, extremely taxing in one way or another. And you realize you just can't say yes to everybody all of the time. You just can't do it. And 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 you wind up in a situation like a if anybody out there watched Fleischman is in trouble with Claire Danes, you know, sort of rocking back and forth on a park bench screaming. Um, you know, or like me when I said, well, I guess I have to jettison my entire career and my life as I know it in New York City because I can't do this anymore. So I hope that with my books I'm giving people a roadmap to avoid that uh crisis point and desperation to start saying no earlier, to start understanding what their own boundaries are and setting them and managing them before they need to get to crisis. And when it comes to the guilt factor, you know, the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck runs on honesty and politeness. I'm not encouraging you to be an asshole. I'm not encouraging you to be rude. What I'm saying is if you get invited to something and you know you don't want to go, give somebody an honest, polite response. Polite meaning, you know, swift, like don't wait yeah. until the night before somebody else has a party to budget for. They've got place yeah. cards they need to set up. You know, they just want to know, are you coming or are you not? And if you are honest and polite about it, you've done nothing wrong. So you have nothing to feel guilty for. And that's the not sorry method because if you are, in fact, not sorry about anything <laughs> because you didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah. And you say guilt is coming from our own head. It's like, and then if someone... If you have a party and someone like in a timely manner is like, I'm not going to be able to make it not available. You're not like, oh, like you can handle a no. So why can't you give a no? Like you've kind of reframed that and you practice by like, what do you say? We need to be the no that we would like to see in the world so that other people start practicing it. And it becomes more acceptable to turn down an invitation. There are so many things I go to. I don't want to go, but it's like you feel obligated and you feel guilty if you don't go or you try to over explain why you can't go. And if you're being, like you say, you're being polite and timely with your response, there's nothing that you should feel guilty about. Yeah. And you said that word obligation and that's the, the sort of twin pillars, guilt and obligation. Yes. I talk about these a lot in my book, Fuck No, which is really yes. 
very specifically about saying no. And an obligation is something you have to do. You know, you have to show up at work if you expect to get paid. And you need to ask yourself whenever you say, oh, yeah, no, I have to do that. I should do that. I have to do that. Do you? Do you really? Is going to a baby shower an obligation, a true obligation, or is it a perceived obligation? And some of those things you're going to wind up saying yes to anyway, because you've done the calculation and you've realized that it helps somebody else more for you to say yes than it hurts you. But sometimes it hurts you more to say yes. You know, you don't have the time, you don't have the energy, you don't have the money, um, or you don't have the desire to do something, whether it's going to an event or doing somebody a favor or, you know, whatever, you just, you can't. And it's okay to say no. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Guys, I have found the magic. And who would I be to not share that magic with you, my loyal Squats and Margaritas listeners, if you are looking for a little extra something? Maybe you're going out with the girls tonight. Maybe you have a date with your husband. Maybe you have a big work event. Maybe you just want to look bomb while you're out on your daily walk. You need Rejuvalift. Rejuvalift is a tightening clay that you just tap wherever you need it forehead, those little 11s between your eyebrows. I use it on the bags under my eyes, my crow's feet. You tap it wherever you need it. You let it sit in four minutes and the results last for up to seven hours. Make Rejuvalift the first step in your beauty routine. Even before you put on makeup, I have tried it. I am obsessed. It is magic. And now Squats and Margaritas listeners can get 20% off at rejuvaliftbeauty.com using code margaritas. That's R-E-J-U-V-A-L-I-F-T beauty.com and use promo code margaritas. 20% off, free shipping. You're welcome. Now back to Squats and Margaritas. Let's talk about mental decluttering. Like you said, um, Marie Kondo is all about when you think of decluttering, it's like your closet, your uh, pantry, but mental decluttering, you clear out the annoy to make room for the joy. Mm-hmm. Like so all of the annoy, anything that yeah. annoys? All of it. <laughs> discard and then organize your life around what you have left. And in the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck, I talk you through a couple of categories because it does, it feels overwhelming for somebody to go, how do I just get rid of everything that annoys me? Yeah. So, you know, you start with sort of like things. And I think one of the examples I gave in the book was basketball. I just, I don't care. You know, I like baseball. I watch baseball, follow it. I don't really care about football. Basketball was something that I had a lot of friends who were really into it and wanted to plan outings around, you know, watching playoff things. And I was just like, yeah, don't. Basketball, not love it. Not for me. Don't care. Not going to show up to those things. You know, that's like a thing. It's inanimate. It doesn't get its feelings hurt. These are the <laughs> kinds of things that you can really easily start to clear out of your mental barn. Um, and I take it all the way through. You know, work, anything that has to do with work, then friends, uh, acquaintances, and strangers. So that's where you're practicing on sort of real people. And then yeah. family is the is the last category because that tends to be the most difficult for people to let go of and to and to sweep out of their mental barn. But what I try to explain is that if you need to turn your back on your family for reasons that are none of my business, um, do whatever you need to do to to feel healthy and well in your life. But if you just have, you know, a, a big, messy, semi-functional family like a lot of us do, and you don't want to spend quite so much time with them or every occasion or do every occasion 
in the same traditional way that it's always been done. You want to insert some of your own change. That's okay. <laughs> and the time that you do spend together will be much higher quality and better for everybody if all of you want to be there doing the thing that you're doing. You know, it's not good for anyone if you just show up like you've been dragged in to, to something that you don't want to be at. You're not going to be fun. You're not going to be nice. Yeah. There's probably going to be some resentment. Um, and it's going to damage the relationship that you do have. So it's another reason why decluttering and discarding all of that annoy, it makes room for the joy, you know, and it's mm-hmm. a kind of a corny way to put it. But if you, no. <laughs> if you have a big messy room, you know, room piled full of junk and you get rid of 80% of the junk that you don't like, the 20% of your valuable possessions and belongings get to have pride of place. Um, and that's really what you're doing when you when you declutter your mind. And you do it for yourself and for everybody else in your life. That's so true. Because if you don't want to be there, it's just going to affect everybody else's mood and the vibe if you're there anyway. So you're not helping anyone by sh- making yourself show up out of obligation. Mm-hmm. Never looked at it that way. I definitely need uh, calm the fuck down. I struggle with anxiety. You say, don't waste your fuck bucks on shit that's not going to happen. We talk about that. How much time do you worry about things that are never going to happen? You have a, sh- a scale, shitstorm scale. <laughs> yeah. So, so much like the uh, hurricane scale, people are familiar yeah. with category one, category two, category three. So, category one is just like not likely to happen. And category two is like, you know, possible, but not likely. Category three, you're getting into like, okay, this is, this is, this is likely. Category four, you know, definitely going to happen. It's inevitable. Category five that already happened, right? Or I'm not sure I'm getting those exactly yeah. right because it's been a while since I wrote that book. But um, but basically, like if you have this limited amount of of fuck bucks of time, energy, and money to spend, and you're spending them worrying about something, you need to ask yourself, how likely is that thing to happen? If that is a category one shitstorm, why are you wasting your time, energy, and potentially money? worrying about it or preparing for it. Now, there's something to be said for those of us who do experience that hypervigilance and need to make our anxiety work for us rather than against us because we're not going to eliminate it altogether. And this is something that in Calm the Fuck Down, I call you, P-H-E-W, productive, mm-hmm. helpful, effective worrying. That is when you take your you know, innate capacity for worrying about shit and you apply it to the threes and fours on your list. You know, the things that are probably going to happen. So if I'm going to be worrying about it, then maybe, you know, I know a hurricane, for example, a meta example, if I know a hurricane is bearing down on my home in the Dominican Republic, I can spend my fuck bucks, you know, preparing the house, closing the shutters, buying a pump, you know, uh, moving all the furniture inside so it doesn't blow around and break a window. Like, and I'm going to be worried about that stuff anyway, but I might as well be using it toward something that's actually going to help me when the shitstorm lands. And then yes. there's the issue of like things that have already happened. And it's yes. like, okay, like it happened. Now you have to deal with, you know, cleanup or bounce back or change of plans. Yes. Um, instead of just kind of going into a, a catatonic, um, you know, cycle of freak out that, that isn't helping you, you know, freaking out, never solve your problem. Now, control what you have control over. And one thing you don't have control over is other people's opinions. And we spend so much time trying to control the narrative around like what people are saying. We have no control 
I still have a big problem with that. And if you have any kind of platform or social media presence, like you're going to have people that don't like you. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of talk me through how you don't give a fuck what people say? (laughs) I am just a very logical and rational person. And so when I say the key to the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck, it is a number one, you have to stop giving a fuck about what other people think. The way you do that is to accept that you have no control over what other people think. Mm-hmm. And that is the logical, rational part of me that goes, oh, well, that's their problem, not mine. All I can do is be me. All I can do is do my best or my worst. I mean, you know, and live my life the way I want to live it and put the words into print that I want to put into print and be ready to, you know, be ready to defend them and justify them and stand by them or to change them if it turns out that, you know, I was wrong or I've changed my mind. Um, but I can't live my life for people who don't know me from Adam coming out of the woodwork to criticize one sentence in one of the 10 books that I've written that are translated into 30 plus languages in the world any more than somebody can, you know, control the opinion of their brand new coworkers when they show up for a day on the job. And maybe the way you laugh reminds them of the way their ex-boyfriend laughed and they don't like you, you know, or maybe you, you, have something that they covet. And so that comes out in, I don't like you. You can't control that. You can't control if you have great hair or if you laugh like their ex-boyfriend. Um, <laughs> and so all you can do is do your best, you know, be your best self um, and, and, and just move on. And it doesn't not sting when yeah. somebody says something nasty, but I just look at it as that's their nastiness that they're putting out into the world. I don't have to take it in. You don't choose to spend your fuck bucks there. Um, Mm -hmm. I, as a recovering perfectionist, I'm in recovery, not recovered. Um, I loved your fuck being perfect. Do you podcast episode? And I Mm -hmm. had a couple of things from there that I wanted you to touch on. Stop and smell your new business cards. Mm -hmm. I'm always in pursuit of the next thing. Even when I get something that I like, I never thought I would book Katie Couric. I interviewed Katie Couric on the show. took me a year to book her. And as soon as it came out, it was like, who am I going to get next? Talk about stop and smell the new business cards. So it's really hard. It's hard for me. And, you know, I don't know if people realize how often I'm stopping and being like, take your own advice, Sarah. Come on, (laughs) write a whole book about this. Like, stop it. Because I too was so motivated, especially in my corporate life, by getting to the next round, getting the promotion, getting the bonus, getting the business cards. And after I had the business cards, I wanted an office of my own. And it was like, if you never stop and go, and I think I make another analogy in the book. I don't know if I did it on the on the podcast episode about like your personal best. Like if a runner is always going for their personal best, that means that their previous best time ever wasn't nothing. Yep. And it's like, you know, I just, I can't live my life like that in a healthy way. And it took years. I mean, talk about recovering perfectionist. I'm going to be in recovery forever, I think. <laughs> um, but it took really, really years for me to figure that out. And a lot of my books, are written almost as I'm figuring this stuff out for myself, you know, and that was something in you do you when I really got into the nitty gritty on perfectionism, um, where I just said, you know, wow, like, if, if nothing is ever good enough for you, then you're never going to be happy. And what is the point? Yeah, that's me. I'm never satisfied. Even when I get the big thing, it's like now it's like opening up the possibility (laughs) that I could do the next thing. And I hate that about myself, but I'm cognizant about that, that I, at least I am aware that I do that. So I, 
am trying to smell the I new mean, business card. <laughs> maybe you need to institute a rule. Like literally when something good happens, be like, I am not allowed to think about the next thing for one week. And, it, and okay. it's a rule and you have yeah. to follow it. You Don't know? try to book and, the um, next guest. Just sit with it. Sit with it. Be happy about it. Yeah. Share the news with people and just give yourself one week because it's not going to change whether the next guest gets booked or not. It's just going to change how you feel about being on a high instead of chasing the next one. Sarah, like think about like, I feel like I've been trying to book you for a year. Like I remember a lot, I finally yeah, got to you. <laughs> And I'm sitting like I was in the airports. I see your books. And I was like, how cool would it be for her to do my show? I couldn't get to you. I finally get to you. You're on a hiatus. And now we're here today. Like, why am I not being present about what a big win this is? Like, cause I'm just, it's just the next thing like this. I'm like, I'm not talking about anything for a week. I just, I just interviewed Sarah Knight, sit with it and just be cognizant of like, make it a rule. Also perfection is in the eye of the beholder. What makes it perfect? You say lower the bar. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like (laughs) I've worked in corporate America and Many hundreds of thousands of books get published every year. And let me tell you, all publishing companies are not staffed by the brain trust. Okay. So if okay. if books are getting to market um with, you know, this this clown over here doing half a good job and this person over here who's, you know, on break for three weeks and this person, like, you're fine. Like you're best if you're like we are and you're driven by perfectionism and ambition and type A. Yeah. Your best is is three times as good as everybody else's best. And like the work gets done. You know, the only thing I say is that brain surgery, like nobody's going to die on the table if I am three days past my deadline, or I've actually had the opportunity to do some light rewriting on all of my books, because my publishers are bringing out new editions. And I said, well, if you're bringing out new editions, there's a couple things I'd like to change, you know, jokes that I don't really think are funny anymore that I didn't have the, you know, I just didn't have the understanding of, of what I was saying. Um, and I've, you know, found that I'm like, oh, oh, I could have said this, not even in the sense of like, oh, that joke was a little bit off color or something, but literally like a, a paragraph that I'm like, why did that's jumbled? Like, why didn't I say it this way? And to you have know, the but, opportunity to fix it or make it how you want it. It turns that's, out like it was it's fine. In print. They've been there's 80,000, 100,000. It's a bestseller. It's fine. <laughs> it didn't matter. Nobody noticed. If you can just kind of lower the bar and realize that if you look around you all day, every day, Life is happening and things are getting done by people who are working a lot less hard and a lot less smart than you are. And so you're probably just doing just fine. But as a mompreneur, I have a lot of guilt that like my kids are five and seven, like they're young and I'm, I want this to, you know how we are. Like I want this to be a top podcast and I, I do speaking. So sometimes I'm like out of town. And so when I'm with my kids, I want to be like the best mom and even my husband will be like, you can get a nanny or you can get someone like we're in a position that I could get it, but I won't because I validate myself by doing all the things. And if I get help, then I'm a shit mom because all the other moms, they do work and they do all these things. No one, Sarah is holding me to this standard except myself. No one gives a shit that I do all these things, but I go to bed. Like I did all the things. It's my own validation. And it's ridiculous to live that way. And I know it. Sounds like you need to do some mental declutter. Yes. Get rid of the annoy to find the joy. Yeah. A lot of things annoy me. And I, well, I can't get rid of my kids and I can't get rid of my job. And I want those things. Maybe just my husband. <laughs> no, there are aspects of all of it that can go though. I did one podcast about uh, about privilege, about the, the, the inherent privilege of being able to say, I don't give a fuck about that. I'm not going to do it anymore. Because somebody had written into me and said, you know, 
um, yeah, you're giving all of this great advice, but I can't, you know, I'd love to move to the tropics, but I can't, I have two kids and, you know, and, and I can't, I can't, I can't. And I said, maybe you can't, it's entirely possible, but based on what you've told me, um, you know, there was information that was in, in her note that she had written to me. And I said, it sounds to me like you just place greater value on your kids staying in their school and you want them to not have to move. But you could pack them up and move them if you decided that it was there was more value to be placed on having an experience and moving abroad and doing something that you wanted to do for the next five years. I was like, you made that choice. Now, what you could do is say, all right, well, my kids are 11 and 12. So in seven, eight years, I'm going to be an empty nester. So I'm going to start my planning now. And I'm going to take a vacation a year to a far-flung place and see if there's a place that I might want to pack up my life and move to when my kids are out of the house and I don't have to worry about them anymore. I was like, I can't tell you exactly how to do it and and why and what's important to you. But what you're telling me is I can't. What I'm hearing is I don't actually want to do that. What I want to do is have the stable life for my kids. I know a lot of people who move to this little... Caribbean beach town that I live in with their young kids and they put them in a new school and they're just, they they decided that that was okay, you know, for them in their lives. Um, I can't make those value judgments for people, but a lot of the times when we say I can't, what we're really saying is I'm scared or I don't actually want to do that. I even say this to people. I'm very tidy as you might imagine. And, um, (laughs) you know, one of the things about getting your shit together is realizing what you don't care about. And if you just don't care about having a tidy house, then stop worrying about it. Like if you're only worrying about it because you're worried about what other people will think and not because you want to live in sort of a state of order, then stop spending your time and energy cleaning your house or spend some money on somebody else cleaning your house, you know, but like don't get focused on things that you think society wants you to do. You need to analyze this for me because I don't, it's not about other people seeing, like I live in the country, nobody's coming to see the house, but I can't go to bed unless the laundry is put away and there's no dishes in the sink. Nobody sees it. So it's not for anyone else, but my mental, like, so I can sleep mm-hmm. I, and I hear it. It's ridiculous. You can sleep, you can sleep with j- dishes in the sink, but I do it for this standard that I hold myself to for no, we're like, but I, it just, it doesn't have to be clean, I guess, but I like it to be clean so that it's something that's uh, like checked off. Yeah. And it sounds like they're just, it's a matter of priorities, right? And it's a matter of hours in the day. So there's Mm. gotta be something else that takes up however much time and energy it takes you to keep your house tidy. Perhaps it's enlisting the children in cleaning (laughs) up after themselves. Then it's not gonna be done right. (laughs) That's where my mind goes. (laughs) You can teach them how to do it right. (laughs) True. And then it's togetherness. Clean up properly. Yes, it's together time. We're spending time together. The house is getting clean, multitasking. It's efficient. Love Mm -hmm. it. Um, let's end it. I know a lot of moms listen to this podcast, like you're working or you're with your kids. There's not really a lot of time for me time and me times feels indulgent because you're a mom. Um, you say me time is a right, not a privilege. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this now back to squats and margaritas. I really do think that we all, I mean, moms are no moms, women and old, old folks, young folks need to shift our mindset from this idea that me time is a luxury. And it's something that we aspire to to being like, this is as important as, you know, good dental hygiene and, you know, and eating two squares or three squares a day, you know, all of these things that we consider important, getting your vitamins or getting your exercise or getting eight hours of sleep. 
like having that me time, that self, you know, self care gets bandied about a lot as what does it mean and who is it for? And mm-hmm. is it just capitalism? Indulgence. Yes. All of these things can be true at the same time. Yeah. But it's really about what you need. And like I said earlier, you know, energy is um, somewhat of a rechargeable resource, but only if you let yourself recharge. And you're no good to anybody if you're, uh, you know, a zombie walking through your life because you haven't taken whatever that time is, it could be a 10 minute meditation, it could be a half hour, 45 minute walk outside in the middle of the day, it could be you saying, I've got this crazy family, and I love them and the chaos and this and that. And my kids wanted a dog. And you know what, I'm gonna walk the dog at night, because I need some me time. Yeah, and I'm gonna go out and spend, you know, 40 minutes walking the dog around the neighborhood, just in silence without dealing with my family. You know, there are ways to incorporate that into your life that don't involve expense um, and that don't necessarily have to take you away for an enormous amount of time from people who are, who depend on you. And, um, you know, I think, again, I'm not a mom. And so there might be people listening to this who are like, you know, talk to me when, but, um, but at a certain age, your kids don't depend on you. They don't care. It's they you. Can, they can spend some time. In the same way that nobody else cares what you do and whether yeah. you RSVP to that baby shower, <laughs> kids don't really care. Um, yes. so, it's you. you know. It's the yeah. guilt. Like you said, it's like, oh, honey, I hold on. Just give me one second. And they're like, I'm good. Like, they're like, mom, you want to do this? And then I'll be like, hold on one second. And then they'll walk away. And I'm like, oh, I really should. He doesn't even remember. It's us holding ourselves to the standard and feeling like it's indulgent to do something other than your job or be with your kids because it should be about your kids. And it's not indulgent because you can't pour from an empty cup as cliche as it sounds. I'm always pouring. And when there's no shit left in the cup, you can't pour. So it's not indulgent. If someone wants to be one of your fucklings, uh, how do they sign up for your newsletter? (laughs) So I have moved my mailing list over to Substack. Uh, The URL is Sarah Knight author dot substack.com. Okay. So if you if you sign up for free, that's just like getting on my mailing list. I just moved it over there. But I've had the same mailing list for seven years. Um, and you will get my monthly no fucks given newsletter that just has a roundup of stuff I'm doing deals on the books, go to sarahnightauthor.substack.com sign up for the free newsletter. If you want to be a paid subscriber, I send weekly emails with tips on all of the subjects that we've talked about today, anxiety, motivation, goal setting, self-confidence. Um, and I also do private threads, uh, discussion threads with my paid subscribers. Those happen on Thursdays. They're Thursday threads um, and other stuff like that. So sarahnightauthor.substack.com to get right on the mailing list and just sarahnight.com if you want to go to my website and tool around and see what's on there. Cool around, see what's on their bikini body. Love that. If you have a bikini and you have a body, you have a bikini body. And, <laughs> and what would you say when I finally realized that it was like kittens oh. came down and did the single ladies dance? <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, yeah. a, a dozen kittens dressed in black leotards <laughs> descended from heaven to sing single ladies for the sole okay. benefit of my thighs and belly. Beautiful. <laughs> That's what it is. Um, if anybody wants more from you, where can they find you? Uh, I'm mostly on Instagram. I have a Facebook like fan page, but you're going to find more of me on Instagram. Everything is Sarah Knight author. So Sarah Knight author for Facebook, Sarah Knight author on Instagram. You are goals, Sarah. Like just, I hope you take a moment. Like this was so big for me as a writer to be able to interview you and bring some of your gems to my audience. I can't wait to see what you do next. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas. 